Well, good morning, Harvest. Thank you, Jordan, for that. And welcome also to uh, Redemption Church Newmarket, Pastor Mike Armstrong. So many of you know who that is. And we're grateful to have them joining us here this morning for our live stream. So we're ready to get into God's Word. We're in the book of Ruth. We're kind of partway through chapter 1. So if you have that, open up in front of you right now. That'd be great. And uh, we're going to talk about rough roads uh, ahead this morning. And the thing about a rough road, I mean, Canadians know about this because it's springtime, potholes everywhere. And the thing about rough roads is you really want to, if you've ever traveled one, you want to slow down, you want to watch where you're going, and you want to kind of plot your way through it. Um, Because if you don't, if you're walking on such a road, a, a difficult road, you might turn an ankle, or if you're on a bike, you might get thrown off, or if you're in a car, you might take out your undercarriage. And so slow down, you watch where you're going, and you plan your way through. Now, as Christians, uh, we have, in a spiritual sense, set out on a journey. We talked about that last week. We're on a road, and it's called the road to redemption. At the end of that is full redemption or full freedom from this world. At the end of that road is eternity. That's the prize we're heading toward. And along the way toward that kind of final destination, there's growth in Christ. There's becoming more like him every day. And, and, and we're maturing in Christ as we take this road. And we'd be wrong to think that just because we became Christians, just because we turned our life over to Christ, that somehow God is going to provide this smooth path for us. If only we would believe in him, everything is going to be easy, everything is going to be manageable. And the opposite of that is actually much closer to the truth. Because the lessons that God has for us The path to holiness, the path to maturity, the path to increased faith is actually filled with potholes, with obstacles, with pitfalls, and even with temptations like off-ramps to go in a different way, a different path. And God intentionally designed the road in that way so that we would learn to trust him. Now, in the book of Ruth, we're following these two women as they take their own road to redemption. And we're hoping to glean from them what we can from their experience. And this is the second message in the series. If you didn't catch message one, check that out online this week. And this second message is about the rough road ahead. And of course, it speaks to us about the rough road that we're on right now. And I can say with absolute confidence that every single one of us today who are watching this message, every single one of us who's hearing what I'm saying right now, every one of us is on a rough road. And so this we need, this is such a timely uh, message for us as we face this. And so we're going to talk about what it's like to be on the road to redemption today. I'm going to read the passage and I'll warn you up front, it's a lengthy passage. We're going to start in Ruth 1 verse 19 and go to the end of chapter 2. And uh, you can time me if you want, it's going to take about four minutes. Here we go. This is Ruth 1.19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, uh, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, 
who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground. She said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and you came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers as, and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley and she took it and went up into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she took her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness is not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Well, let's pray together as we get into God's word. Father, thank you so much for this time together. We're grateful for your love for us. We're grateful for your comfort. Thank you for speaking to us in the way that you do. And Father, help us now uh, to hear what you have for us, to believe what you have for us, and to trust in you in every way. Father, these things we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
All right, once I've set out on the road to redemption, I will, first of all, let's look at this, I will expect a reaction from others. When I make the decision to go on this road to redemption, other people are going to react to that. People are going to react to me, in fact, no matter how I navigate that road. Whether I navigate it well, people are going to notice that. If I navigate it poorly, people are going to notice that. And notice when Naomi and Ruth got to Bethlehem, this is what we saw in verse 19 of chapter 1, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? They couldn't believe their eyes. In fact, the word stirred here actually means all abuzz. Everyone was talking about it. And by the question, the way they asked the question, there's actually some shock at the way Naomi actually looks here. And she'd been gone more than a decade. Life had indeed been hard for her. We heard that in the first part of the book. And now she just walks into town. She's got a Moabite girl with her. And she's really looking like she needs a city line makeover. And so verse 20 says here, she said to them, And this is how she feels about herself. She says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. And then she launches into this, it's really uncomfortable to read this, like fourfold accusation against God to justify her own bitterness. And she says, first of all, verse 20, the latter part there, the Almighty's dealt very bitterly with me. So she's blaming him. She says, secondly, verse 21, I went away full. You know, I had a husband, I had sons. We had dreams for our family. And the Lord has brought me back empty. She says, thirdly, why call me Naomi? And her name means pleasant. Why call me pleasant when the Lord has testified against me? Lord, the Lord is actually standing up in court and, and, and calling her guilty and pronouncing sentence on her. And then finally, she says, the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. And this is a real struggle for her. And And I read that and it's uncomfortable to hear someone just saying all those things about God. But I realize like she's not the only one in scripture who had this kind of struggle with the Lord in the face of massive trials. In fact, you think about Job. He said this, one of his friends had challenged him on some points. And and then Job says this in Job 6, 4. He says, the arrows of the Almighty are in me. God has shot me with his arrows. And then he goes on to say, it's not bad enough that I have these arrows in me. My spirit drinks their poison. I mean, they weren't just arrows, but they were poison arrows, Job says. And then he adds this, the terrors of God are arrayed against me. Even David in the midst of one of the darkest times in his life, says in Psalm 13, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? Sometimes life comes at us in a way that, I mean, I just don't think it's, 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 just, it's not just Naomi, it's not just Job, it's not just David, it's, it's me and you. Because life can come at us so hard and so fast that it makes it, so hard to see God in it. And I wonder, as Naomi is even saying this to the the women of Bethlehem as they're talking, I wonder what Ruth is thinking at this point. I mean, Naomi has been her, essentially her only window into what it means to worship, to love and worship and be devoted to Yahweh. She made in the last message, the last passage we looked at, she makes this incredible pledge in verse 16 of chapter 1. Remember Ruth saying this, your people are going to be my people and your God is going to be my God. 
And now you've you got to believe hearing what Naomi is saying about her God. You wonder if, if Ruth is thinking, what in the world did I pledge myself to? Now here's the thing. For you and I, for good and bad, how I live my life of faith is a window into Christ for all the other people in my life. For good or bad, how I live my life of faith is a window for all the other people in my life to see Christ. Now think about that. What are people seeing? And at times like this, when the world is, we would all agree, the world has gone mad and there's so much uncertainty and so much fear and panic that people might just be watching Christians a little bit more closely right now. Well, a little more closely, allowing for social distancing, but a little more closely. And so they might be asking the question, are you panicking? Are you hoarding? Are you pushing conspiracy theories? Are you refusing to comply with what the government is asking you to do? And so many Christians are like, well, it's the government. I don't need to listen to them. And Romans 13 says otherwise. Titus 3 says otherwise. In fact, listen, Christian, unless the government is asking you to renounce your faith, if they are requiring you to compromise the gospel, unless they're asking you to do that, we have an obligation to obey the governing authorities. So if you profess Christ, then you represent Christ in every word you speak, in every attitude you show, in every action you take, in every social media post that you like and comment on and forward. And what you want people to be abuzz about are not your opinions. What you want people to be abuzz about are not your disappointments with God. What you want people to be abuzz about is Jesus Christ. Because he's what the world needs right now. And so when we, when we think about Naomi's outburst in front of those women in Bethlehem and Ruth's incredible oath that she makes in the earlier part of chapter 1, when you put those two things together, a choice is going to be made by all of the people who are watching these two responses. The believer who falters in their faith at the critical moment will leave believers and unbelievers alike wondering what faith is worth and what it's good for. But the response of faith and trust in God and the willingness to own your own part in God's judgment, to have perspective on God's sovereignty, on his holiness, on his transcendence, that also will elicit a reaction, obviously a more positive one. I mean, to be at peace right now with all that's going on in the world, to be at peace right now with all that's going on in the world, that's the thing that's going to bring about the best reaction. A reaction that might just attract people to Jesus. I, I had a couple of calls on, on Friday and Saturday, Zoom calls with other lead pastors, a group of about uh, 10 guys. And we're just trying to encourage one another and, and talk through things that we're dealing with right now and, and then to pray with each other. And one of the guys on the Friday call, he, he said to me that things like this actually can excite a lead pastor, excite a preacher a little bit. 
not the, not the pain that people are going through, but the event itself and what it might actually mean for the church. Will it wake the church up from, from lethargy? Will it wake the church up to the mission that we're actually supposed to be on in the world? That this crisis might actually compel people in the world who don't know Christ to actually consider him. And, and could we, as a result of all of this, see a spiritual awakening take place in our world? And it actually, it actually causes the heart to race a little bit as we look at what's happening in the world, as God evidently is working to get our attention. How we handle the COVID-19 pandemic says everything everything about our trust in God. And in verse 22, then the narrator summarizes the situation. They returned from the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And this sets us up for what comes next because Naomi slips actually into the background a little bit and Ruth becomes the primary character. And God's sovereignty over everything becomes super obvious. And so you can see this next, no matter what we're facing, you and I need to rest in God's sovereignty. Now that barley harvest that's mentioned in verse 22, that barley harvest is God's plan. The timing of it, the timing of the return is God's plan. Verses 1 and 2, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, of her husband's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. You could write beside that, that was God's plan, that it would be Boaz. Verse 3, so Ruth set out and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened to come, that's a really important phrase, she happened to come, underline that, to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. That's an important fact. And there's so much going on even in these, what seem like us to be these, these little random statements or these contextualization, but there's so much going on here. And as believers, when we, when we look at this, we, we don't believe in luck. We don't believe in chance. That's not a thing. There's no randomness to life. There's no fortune. There's no fate. Listen, as Christians, we believe that there is only God and his plan for me and his plan for this world. And so back to that phrase, she happened to come. And the author puts this in here because it's a, it's a tongue-in-cheek kind of comment to get our attention. Everybody's going, she didn't just happen to come. God's orchestrating all of this. He's, he's pushing us toward an understanding of the sovereignty of God right now. You know, she, he could write it this way. She stumbled across this certain field. Wink, wink. She, she lucked out when she came upon Boaz. Wink, wink. And the fact is the Jewish people had a very developed sense of the sovereignty of God and him being in control. And they didn't believe in randomness or luck. In fact, in Proverbs 16.33, it says this, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. You can put it this way. You know, you can roll the dice, but God determines what the numbers are going to be. So she just happens to hit the field of a kind and generous man who also just happens to be a close relative of Elimelech. I mean, we're being led along a literary path here. We're being shown so many coincidences and lucky breaks, all of that in quotes. And it becomes obvious that someone, someone is orchestrating the whole thing. Verse 5. Then Boaz sees Ruth and he asks, who's that young woman? 
And they said, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi. Verse 7, she asked if she could glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers and except for a short rest. She's been at it all day. Okay, all of that is relevant. God is at work in all the details. It's all going to become even much more clear as we look at the next couple of messages in chapters 3 and 4. And so, Christian, you and I, we need a grand sense of this sovereignty of God. We need a grand sense that nothing is wasted, that no circumstance is unplanned by God, that everything we experience is indeed on the road to redemption. We look back in history and, and we, see, we think that our situation is so unique and the word unprecedented has been used repeatedly in the media and by every pundit, in all these blog posts and every tweet you see, such unprecedented times. And they're not actually unprecedented. Maybe unprecedented in our lifetime, but not in history. There have been in history many accounts of famines and pestilences that have afflicted the world, of pandemics that have killed millions and millions. And in the future, we read of that in the apocalyptic literature, that this is going to happen again in the future. And it's all God orchestrating all the events of history. And I love what Alan Redpath, a pastor and author, uh, now with the Lord said about this matter of God's sovereignty. There is Nothing, he said, nothing, no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until, first of all, it has gone past God and past Christ, right through to me. If it has come that far, it has come with a great purpose, which I may not understand at the moment. But as I refuse to become panicky, as I lift my eyes to him and accept it as coming from the throne of God for some great purpose of blessing to my own heart, no sorrow will ever disturb me, no trial will ever disarm me, no circumstance will cause me to fret. For I shall rest in the joy of what my Lord is. And when you rest in that, when you trust in God in that way, it gives you what Paul speaks about in Philippians 4, 7. The peace that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't quite make sense, but when I trust in God in the midst of these difficult circumstances, when I know he's sovereign, I have this peace that surpasses all understanding. Well, that too is part of the road to redemption. Look at this next. I will also accept help when needed. And this really speaks to the sense of community that we ought to have as the followers of Christ. The body of Christ, the church, is about interdependence. It's about fellowship. And the, the original language word in the New Testament for fellowship is koinonia. It's the idea of sharing what we have. And, and in the book of Acts, in chapter 2 and chapter 4, with the brand new church kind of launching and growing, twice there, Luke says, that the church had all things in common. And this current crisis is compelling something from us as a church. It's testing our koinonia, our fellowship. It's testing our ability to share all things with one another. But I love what one small group has done to chart their care plan, and it's so artistic. And, and when we, we look at this, we see how it's the pastors and the elders and the, and the, and the small group coaches and the small group leaders and then 
Each of those small groups, this outer circle is representing all these different members of the small group and then all of the ways that they're reaching out to their neighbors and their family and their friends and all the people that they are um, touching with this and with their love. And, and this is the church caring for one another. This is the church understanding our role in the world and toward one another. And I would love that that care plan, that's super artistic and maybe uh, for your group, maybe there's an engineer leading it and it needs to look more like a spreadsheet or a flow chart or something a little different than that. But I don't care how you structure it. I just care that we're all doing it and thinking about how we're going to do it even better. And I love that. See, the church has always found ways in history to adapt to every situation. You know, Christians under persecution in Rome, they found, uh, they found safety and, and solace with one another in the catacombs. In the Soviet era, Christians met in forests and in small gatherings in homes. And in wartime, the church adapted to the situation. It moves, it's dynamic, it's alive. True Christians always find a way forward together and receiving help as needed, always considering ourselves to be one body. And so individualism and independence are foreign to the Christian way. Or we could say it this way, the road to redemption is walked together. It's not a solitary journey. It's walked together. And so Ruth accepted help. I mean, that's the point of this. She accepted the help. And Boaz actually sets Ruth up for success. Look now, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He says, keep close to my young women. When you're thirsty, drink what young, the young men have drawn. And you have to understand that in that culture, the fact that she was a foreigner, the fact that she was a woman, the fact that she was young, put her in a certain social standing. And what Boaz is suggesting here is so out of the ordinary. It would have caught the attention of everyone. They would have been asking themselves the question, showing special favor to her of all people. And Ruth understood that. Verse 10, she fell on her face, bowing to the ground. And, 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 and with great humility, she thanks him for taking notice of her, knowing that she was a foreigner. But you see, Boaz knew what she had done. Verse 11, what she had done for her mother-in-law. Boaz knew how she had cared for Naomi. And then he speaks this blessing over her in verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come. This is beautiful. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You abandoned the God and the gods of Moab. You came here and pledged your allegiance to Yahweh. And what Yahweh is doing right now is he is putting his wings around you and he is protecting you and sheltering you and he'll provide for you. And while Boaz is invoking the Lord's help in protecting and blessing Ruth, he's not content only to pray. This is so important. He is himself acting on God's behalf, knowing that he can actually be the one to put his wings over Ruth, so to speak, to provide for her and to protect her. And that's exactly what he does for her. Verse 14, and at mealtime, at the mealtime that he invites her to, which he didn't need to do and she didn't have any business being at, he shows her kindness. In verses 15 and 16, when she rose to glean, 
He showed her kindness in the amount she took home, generosity and kindness. Verse 21, in the invitation to glean during all of his harvest. This was the barley harvest, but he makes it super clear to her. You need to come back because soon we're going to be doing the wheat harvest, and I want you to be here for that one too. Great generosity. And this is going to be a very important matter for us as the followers of Christ as this pandemic drags on. In Proverbs 14, 31, think about this, Christian. Whoever is generous to the needy honors the Lord. You want to honor the Lord? Generosity to the needy is going to get that done. This keeps going round and round, and she thanks him, verse 13, pointing out how he had comforted her and spoke kindly to her, though she was not one of his servants. And you see it, Ruth helped Naomi, Boaz knew about that, Boaz helped Ruth. Everyone's blessing each other here. All are receiving the help as it was given. Both are reflecting the chesed of God, the covenant faithfulness of God, the loyalty of God, the the kindness and love of God. And all of this is in contrast to what Naomi had portrayed of Yahweh when she first got to Bethlehem. Boaz and Ruth, in contrast to that, are showing the genuine hesed, the love and covenant faithfulness and compassion of God. And I don't want to be too hard on Naomi because she evidently starts to make a turn as well as God pours blessing on her. She realizes the help they were getting and she sees it as the hand of God. And she, she says of Boaz in verse 20, may he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. That's the kindness of God and the kindness of Boaz, the two things together because Boaz loved and served God. And Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And so much more to come about all of that. Boaz's offer of kindness and help is well received by Ruth and by default received by Naomi. These two women were crushed by their circumstances. They were in this helpless state. No husbands, no land, no prospects of lifting themselves up from their have-not status. Completely dependent on those who have. We could say it this way, the odds were stacked against them. But when help was offered, it was accepted. Ruth was not so self-determined and strong-willed and independent that she felt like she needed to make it on her own. Though Ruth is very much a woman of resolve and of courage, that's evident in the narrative, she nevertheless accepts the help of Boaz. And we need to reflect that kindness and generosity that Boaz showed, that Ruth showed to Naomi. In the space of a few weeks, the world has actually changed dramatically. Kindness and generosity are going to be needed in the weeks and months ahead, more than at any other time in my lifetime for sure. And the followers of Jesus Christ need to step up because the world's watching. Finally, on this road... Prepare for setbacks along the way. Prepare for setbacks along the way. I mean, we've already established that the road can be very rough. But even when the road begins to look like it's straightening out and smoothing out for us, which can happen at different times in our lives for sure, we definitely should not become complacent because things can change so quickly as we've recently noticed. 
Life can become difficult in an instant. And normal life is not, you know, we talk about normal life. What does it mean to have a normal life? A normal life is not when it's easy. Wishful thinking tells us this is normal life when everything is smooth and everyone likes each other and there's lots of money and everybody's working and everybody's healthy. That's when life is normal. But that's just wishful thinking. Normal life is actually, tell me if this isn't true, normal life is more, you know, potholes and pitfalls. Normal life is more setbacks and sorrows. Normal life is more pandemics and recessions. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ showed us in his own life. He took on human flesh. Son of God, perfect, sinless, took on human flesh so he could enter into the human condition and experience life exactly as we live it, only without sin. One of my favorite passages and one that I've cited a few times already over the past uh, couple of weeks in, in uh, some of those e-bulletins that I've been sending out. But Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and in that I've been encouraging us, fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's just fix our eyes on Jesus. Who, the text tells us, who for the joy set before him, listen now, endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I mean, Jesus faced the pitfalls and the potholes and the setbacks and the sorrows. Jesus endured the cross. Jesus took on the shame. Jesus bore the weight of my sin and yours because of the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. And that's why we need to fix our eyes on him. He's the ultimate example. He's awesome in all his ways. And he shows us the path that you and I have to take. And so that's the norm. We need to prepare for setbacks. And even while things were beginning to look up for Ruth, she's doing this gleaning and she's gleaning a lot and she has the favor of Boaz. But even in the face of that, there are some threats that remain. There's a potential setback that's right in front of her. Twice Boaz told her that he actually warned men who were working in the field. Now listen to this, verse 9. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? I mean, what's going on there? She just needs some food. She's poor. That's why she's gleaning. The gleaning laws allowed for food to be gathered from the corners of field and anything that the reapers didn't catch. The, the poor could come and take that. It was part of the social safety net that was set up in Israel and in the Mosaic law. But now here's the threat. A poor woman, a Moabite woman is going to come. She's already marginalized in the society. She's very vulnerable. She's poor. And now she's under threat that some of the young men there might, quote unquote, touch her. Boaz, verse 15, instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Verse 16, do not rebuke her. Later in verse 22 and 23, Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women. Obviously, Boaz was a protector of women. Lesson enough, you'll be assault. It's so relevant to what we've been seeing happen in the past uh, few years with the Me Too movement. The word touch in the passage here, back to uh, verse 9, it means to strike, to harass, 
to take advantage of, to mistreat. And clearly it was known to everyone that men often assaulted women. But Boaz, again, wasn't about to let that happen to Ruth, and the indication is that it just didn't happen in his fields. That's a horrible setback. I know that's the pain for some. It's a horrible setback for anyone to face along the way, but even God can redeem that. God can cover anyone with his wings and protect them and provide for them. Whatever the setback might be, that's the specific example here. No matter how devastating it might be in our lives, these two are part of the journey. These two are part of the road to redemption. And God uses every single one of these setbacks to shape us, to increase our faith, to bring us to maturity, to develop our perseverance and endurance. And my hope, of course, is that your on that same road, not adrift, not lost, not wandering, not, not meandering through life, wondering what your destination actually is, but that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith. I would want that for everyone. And I hope God uses the circumstances that are going on in our world right now to draw many into that relationship by faith with Jesus Christ. And then for those who already have that relationship with him, that we are living day by day in response to God's moving in this world, however difficult that might be, and that every one of us as the followers of Christ are seeing our faith increase, that we're trusting in him, that we're facing whatever comes our way whatever this broken world throws at us. Because we are convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are on the road to redemption. And we are finding along the way freedom, comfort, care, protection in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I am uh, again so very grateful for the story of Ruth her incredible courage and her determination and the faith that she displayed. I thank you for working in her life the way that you did and for the redemption that she is seeing in her own life. And God, I pray that we would see that redemption in our own lives. Father, work in a powerful way in your church, in every believer that's hearing my voice right now. Work, Father, in the lives of those who are listening to this message, watching this message, Father, who do not have a relationship with Christ. And, Father, through the unsettling of their lives as a result of these circumstances, God, I pray that they would trust in you, that their faith would be put in you right now, and that they would join us on this road to redemption. Thank you, Father, for hearing this prayer, for going with us every step of the way. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.